Well, this morning we're in Luke chapter 8. We, uh, we are beginning in verse 26, and we'll go to, to the end of this section here, which is uh, the story of when uh, Jesus uh, came to the other side, which we learned last week. Uh, they had gone to the other side of the, uh, of the Sea of Galilee. And now they've, um, they've touched ground on the other side, and we'll see how it is that they are met by this demon-possessed man. So let's begin by reading Luke chapter 8 and verse 26. It says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under a guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for, we, uh, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the, the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Oh, Father, as we read these words and are reminded of the account that we have before us of when our Lord Jesus Christ was there on the, the shore at the Sea of Galilee and was met by this demon-possessed man, how it was that he had the power, he had the authority to deliver this man from being demon-possessed. Lord, what a... What an experience this was for all who saw this. I pray, Lord, that as we consider the different perspectives that we're going to see here and the different responses, Lord, that we would consider ourselves. How it is that we respond to you. How it is that we respond to the deliverance that you have accomplished in us Lord as those who are saved and walking with you how it is that you told this man to go and to recount that which he had experienced and yet Lord he chose to go out and proclaim it Lord I pray that that would be our response why because we simply desire to bless you to honor you we are forever grateful for that which you have already done And so, Lord, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, um, the account of this particular situation is written about in both Matthew and Mark, as well as here in the Gospel of Luke. In Matthew, you can find it in chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. And in Mark, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. 
Matthew pointed out that there were two demon-possessed men, and I want to cut to the chase and go straight to what some would uh, say is a contradiction or it's, um, you know, two different accounts and why it is that it's recounted in that way in the Gospel of Matthew and not in the Gospels of Mark and Luke. Now, this is not a contradiction, nor is it an error, nor is it an inconsistency. Just what the Holy Spirit had Luke focus on. One of the two demon-possessed men. And, and in fact, if you read the account of Matthew, he mentions two, but then is addressing one. It would be the same as me mentioning one of you when there were many. Just because I mention one doesn't mean that I'm wrong and that there weren't many. Uh, you could say that uh, today. I spoke with Alex, and so as I spoke with Alex, we talked about certain things, and, and then we went our way. That doesn't mean that all of you weren't here, right? And so th those are the things that we ought to consider as we read Scripture, and sometimes people bring that up, like, why does it say it different in, in this part of the Bible and then as opposed to this other section? It's not that they're wrong. It's just all of you. If you were, if you were testifying of what took place here today, you would all have different stories, but it doesn't mean that they are inconsistent or that they contradict each other. It's just from your perspective. So, just so we're clear on that. What we do have is a story of a demon-possessed man who was delivered of the demons by Jesus as they were sent into the herd of pigs, and that's what we saw here. The pigs, in turn, rushed down this steep, steep embankment and drowned themselves in the lake uh, in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, we have the man who is demon-possessed, the demons, the herdsmen who were tending to the pigs, the crowds, and Jesus. But remember who else was with Jesus. In fact, he had just crossed the Sea of Galilee. So we need to also take into account that who's also there were his disciples. And then think about what they had just experienced. Something pretty amazing, right? How it was that Jesus had command over the elements. And how at his word, the waves stopped, the wind ceased, and everything was calm. And they found themselves on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The last statement that was made, in fact, in the section that we went over last week, made by the disciples. This statement was made by the disciples when they saw how Jesus rebuked the wind and the raging waves and how they immediately stopped and were made still by Jesus at the command of his word. It says that they marveled and said this, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him. And so they were already in awe. And now they land on the other side. And we have another lesson in the authority of Jesus over the elements of the earth and the spiritual realm in the heavenlies. And there were many, as I had pointed out, the herdsmen and the people who are going to be told about what, what had taken place. And they come and, and they see what happened with this man who is now clothed in his right mind. And the disciples, all of these will be witnesses to what Jesus does. But only one that will experience being dressed in his right mind. But we will see the response of everyone else. 
So again, landing in a demonic land, verse 26 says, And they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not, and, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. Jesus and his disciples again had crossed the Sea of Galilee. And as they landed on the other side in the country of the Gerasenes, also known as, if you have the New King James Version, the land of the Gadarenes, they were met by a man from the city who had demons. And he's described very well in detail. Just a little insight, the city of Gadara and its surrounding area they're all referred to as the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes, as we see here in this translation. And it's in this location that Jesus found this man who had lived in the city for some time, but now he was living among the tombs, among the dead. This man is now not in his right mind, possessed by these demons. In fact, he was living without any clothes whatsoever. You know, as we look at the world in which we're living in, we will continue to be exposed even more and more as the days get darker and more people are completely out of their minds, this very thing. In fact, I don't know, who has seen naked people just walking around? Anyone? Yeah, too many of you. I won't tell you what I saw the other day, but I saw something that I was simply going and um, getting my, my dog some, some food. And as I was coming back towards Central, I saw someone getting naked and exposing themselves before everyone. And nobody cared. They just went by, of course. Well, I mean, I was shocked. Out of their minds. Nobody in their right mind would do this. This man is described as, as having, he's living in the graveyard, in the middle of the tombs. Out of his mind, just demon possessed, not wearing any clothes whatsoever, living like a wild animal. Under him lie the decaying bodies of people. He lived among the dead, he himself spiritually being dead. And it was this man who met Jesus as he came to the shore. Uh, there will be times as we think about this whole situation. Remember how it was that the disciples, just moments before, they thought they, they were going to die in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They were being overwhelmed with the water as it was coming into their boat. And now they're safely on the other side. They had touched down. And then this man who was demon-possessed approached Jesus. There will be times when you are brought from a storm on the water to another storm on the land. But rest assured that Jesus is with you as we sung, he will not forsake us.
and he has power and authority over all, as we will see. And we can, we can find great reassurance in that. We can be at peace knowing that he is with us. And so as they land here and they are met by this demon-possessed man, it says in verse 28, When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had command, commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And so we have this man who naturally he wouldn't have known who Jesus was and yet he declared with accuracy exactly who it was that was before him. The question is and we know that he was possessed by demons why would a man who was driven by the demons, possessed by the demons, fall before Jesus if their master was the devil? Colossians 2.10, it says, And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23 says, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He is, he is above all. There is no one above him. He has, a, he has authority over Satan, over the fallen angels who are the demons, he has power and authority over the earth. And the demons knew this. You see, those following Jesus were learning what these demons in this man already knew. They knew it supernaturally. They, they knew this. It was this man who was not sought out by the Lord, but who was described as having come to Jesus. And when he did, he fell down before Jesus and loudly confessed who he was. And notice that he didn't pick this man up. He didn't tell him, I am a man just like you, and so please rise to your feet. We only worship one God, for he was God and he is God. He didn't correct him because he was right. He was speaking truth. You know, we, we think about believers. You know, let me, let me point out to you some believers in the Bible. In James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Unfortunately, there are many people who say, I believe in God. But they don't honor him, revere him, and much less fear him. It's simply, he's simply a, a means to an end. Uh, that is, a means to your own end. 
You make things better, God. You make my family whole. Um, you instill morality in the things that I want to do. It's just clean. It's good. And yet, there are many who just remain there. There's no true surrender. There's not a yielding of your life, laying it down and giving it to him completely. It's only partial. Only you do this. Thank you for your sacrifice, God. Only my sacrifice ends at some point. My offering to you isn't what's described in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It's partial. I'm going to hold back. You can say that, that, that here was a man who was an unsaved believer. You ever heard of that? An unsaved believer. Is not what James 2 19 describing, is that not an unsaved believer? <laughs> Even the demons believe and they shudder. Demons, um, there's a place that's reserved for them, as, as we see in Revelation chapter 20, and it's called the lake of fire. Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. The demons will be cast into the lake of fire. That wasn't a lake that was meant for you and I, and yet for all who deny Jesus Christ will be cast into the lake of fire. Why? Because you remain in your sin. Oh, as we consider what is happening here with Jesus, it should cause you to tremble. Because remember, there's only one that responded. You see, um, these demons knew more theology than all the people. And yet they were destined for hell. So knowledge of sound doctrine and knowledge of theology. To rattle off verses means absolutely nothing. If you do not know the author of the book salvifically. To shudder, that is what the demons were doing. Because they knew that Jesus had all authority even to send them into torment, eternal torment, that in fact does await them. One day the devil and his demons will be cast into the lake of fire where they will remain for eternity as I had mentioned according to Revelation chapter 20. So the question perhaps that if we haven't asked at some point we may ask is how does a person get demon possessed? Well, by invitation, whether with knowledge or not, there are some who treat the dark realm lightly, the devil, Satan, Satan worship, everything that has to do with it. It's just, hey, listen, it's not a big deal. It just, you know, it's, it's all for fun. It just, you know, deal with it lightly, flippantly. And some even ignorantly 
perhaps, cry out to Satan to give them what they want. In exchange, they will give him their lives. Have you ever heard of someone doing this? Oh, Satan, I don't care. You give me fame, money, power, position, whatever it is. That's what I want. And I don't care. Take me. You can have me. There are people who do that. Many people open up themselves to Satan and his activities through illicit drugs. Pharmakia is what the Bible describes it as, which is a gateway to the occult. Spiritism, occult games. These are no jokes. This is not something, this is what I'm telling you is that Satan and the world wants to tell you it's no big deal. It's no big deal. It's all a game. Superstition? Man, we got to do away with superstition. That is... When it starts coming out of your mouth, right? And you know better. (laughs) Like, oh, man, I shouldn't go down that path. Oh, man. Your superstitions. You guys were any Texas Ranger fans? Everyone was wearing their rally hats. That's a superstition. It worked, I guess. No. <laughs> Not superstition. There's some things that we actually believe. Fortune telling? A Christian who's into fortune telling? That is unbecoming of a Christian. Our trust in it is, is in the Lord. And, and if we want to read our future, I can tell it to you. It's right here. You don't need anyone reading your palm. or They're just they're fooling you. You want, you want to get in contact with the dead? You know what the spirits are that are roaming around, especially now the supernatural, all of that? That's nonsense. What that is, is, is it's evil spirits. It's demonic. They are mimicking the dead. Magic, new age, all of that. People open up themselves to the demonic realm and invite them right right in. It's a relaxing of the conscience, an invitation of something that works. I just want to try something that works. You know, in, in, in a day in which we, we just want things to work out for us. This, perhaps we think, is not enough. This is not enough. We just want something that works for me today, right now. But it's other than God. But little do people know that it isn't something that is working, but a demonic spirit who is fooling a person to trust in something or someone other than God. That's the bottom line. And we open ourselves up to that which is demonic, pure, just simple and easy. Well, why possess people? Well, who is made in God's image? We are image bearers of God. That is truly incredible, but we're made in his image. 
What better thing to do than to trample upon God's image? That's why confusion, confusion as far as gender is concerned, and, and you can be whatever it is that you claim to be, that is all demonic. It's from the devil. I know it's like when your mom says, oh, that's from the devil. You know, It's true. She is, she is not you know, just saying something that, she's not saying something that's true. It's something that is true. Again, we take these things lightly. Brothers and sisters, we can't take this lightly. We can't. Satan is trying to mar that image, trying to undermine it, trying to fool people into thinking they are something that they're not. John 10.10, and I remind you, you already know this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's, he's looking to destroy you. He is no friend. He's not something, some, something or someone to toy with. Satan and his demons seek to mar the image of God. That's you. And he's after our kids. What are you going to do about it? Those who know what to do and do not do it, for you it is sin. I'm telling you as parents, don't unnecessarily expose your kids to a system that is trying to destroy them. I'll just leave it at that. Because we are made in his image and Satan wants to vandalize that image. He wants to mar it, damage it, degrade it, destroy it. This man was demon-possessed. In fact, no one could control this, this man he was given superhuman strength enough to break chains. No one could contain him. And he is described as, as being driven by the demons into the desert. Once the demons had the reins to his life, he was driven like a, like a bridled horse. What an awful picture of someone who is possessed by Satan's demons, driven by Satan's demons, brought right into that place which is absolutely barren. Now, this exchange that this demon-possessed man had with Jesus, it's kind of interesting because perhaps if you read into and, and study this portion of Scripture, you will see how it is that the superstition of the day was that whoever it was that could accurately speak the name of the other had the upper hand. And so... Perhaps it's thought of that the people that were witnessing this whole exchange were thinking that this demon-possessed man had the upper hand because he spoke the title of Jesus in an accurate manner. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? True. It's interesting, though, because superstitions have no power whatsoever. <laughs> It was only the one that was standing, who was standing before this man who was possessed by these demons. But these demons knew. 
The bottom line is that the demons knew who Jesus was and knew his authority. And then there's this deliverance from demonic possession. Verse 30, as we continue, says, Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Jesus asked the name of the demon. What, what is your name? The demon who was speaking said, "We're uh, Legion, because we are many. There wasn't just one demon-possessed man who was... In this man, uh, there wasn't just one demon, but there were many who were possessing, who had filled this man. By this, it is understood that this was an intimidation tactic. That as he said, we are many, this is legion. Jesus would understand, oh, there are many, overpowering. Number one. Number two, they were organized. But whatever thoughts are shared regarding what this demon was thinking, we do know that they feared Jesus, even causing this man to fall down before Jesus. If these demons did not fear Jesus, he would not have fallen down. Just the posture. The posture of submission. This, I believe, is, is what we are guilty of ourselves. We want to stand before Jesus. But we don't even respond to Jesus in the manner in which this demon responded to Jesus. Just in full surrender. That's what it was. He couldn't help but just fall on his face because he knew exactly who he was. And, and then this demon, who was a spokesperson for all of them that were in there, they begged Jesus not to command them to depart into the, the abyss. Well, what is he referring to? The abyss. Does this mean the Sea of Galilee? No. Some deep hole somewhere? No, it's a deep hole somewhere. <laughs> no, he's describing what we see in Revelation 9:11. It's a prison for demons. And they knew very well that Jesus could send them there. In fact, he said, don't. Don't put us there just yet. We know what's coming. Send us into that herd of pigs. And Jesus had the authority and he had the power to give permission to those demons. Okay. Be delivered or, or be, be sent out from this man and be sent into these pigs. And that's exactly what happened. And when the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, they all rushed down to this embankment and went into the lake and they drowned. 
again, just a visual of the reality spiritually of what Satan desires to do and does do all the time. Steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to divide and devour. He is very cunning. This man was driven to the land of the dead by demons. And that is what Satan wants to do even still today. Take you from the land of the living to a land that is barren, lifeless, isolated, filled with that which is defiled, and eventually will destroy you completely. That's his desire. Again, that's not something that we should deal with lightly or flippantly. We're lulled into a sleep. And when we find ourselves there, we are easily destroyed. But remember that Jesus has the power and authority to deliver you just as he did this man. And I want to ask you as we continue, you know, is there anything that is isolating you or you're allowing to isolate you? Think about this. Anything that is keeping you from Jesus, that is the fullness of Jesus. You know, I know that we, we don't want to withdraw from Jesus, but sometimes we allow things to take us from the fullness of Jesus. What would Jesus say to you? What he says to all of us, confess and repent. (laughs) Confess and repent, draw near to him. 34, let's see the response of the herdsmen. It says, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The herdsmen and the people, fearful, the herdsmen ran. They, they told everyone in the city what had happened. They came back and saw this man in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it says here, it's described, they were all filled with fear. They were all afraid. This man who had been running around naked and out of his mind is now clothed and sitting at the feet of Jesus. That, that is quite... Amazing that all of these people were, were struck with fear in their hearts over this picture. What would you, church, as you saw, perhaps knew of someone who was just out of their mind and one day came to their right mind in Christ and were just, was desiring to sit and listen and draw from Jesus and loved his presence, what would you say? The church would say, Hallelujah, right? So what is this a picture of? The world. Those who don't want 
what this man came to know. This is a man who is in his right mind, a man who is drawn to Jesus, desires to listen to him, and delights in his presence. But the other people, they were filled with fear. In fact, they asked Jesus to depart. Just leave. Leave leave our town here. Leave this area. They were not afraid of the man who was out of his mind. Previously, now he's in his right mind. They, They weren't afraid of him. He's so crazy. He's up there in the hills. Leave him alone. But now they were afraid of Jesus and how he had put this man in his right mind. Interesting. You see, the world is not afraid of those who are out of their minds because they belong to the world. The world is afraid of those who are in their right minds in Christ because ultimately they know who indwells them. That's why you're wondering, what's happening? Are people really fooled into thinking that those who murdered 1,400 Jews, beheaded children, innocent civilians, that somehow we're supposed to show mercy to them? How is that? Israel didn't attack Hamas. Hamas attacked Israel. So they don't have a responsibility and they can't defend themselves? Listen, Satan uh, Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And we in our lives are supposed to eradicate sin. That means do with it do completely do away with it completely you know it's like saying oh okay you know we'll we'll do away with most of it but not all of it like well a little leaven leavens a whole lump and just mark my words that little bit of compromise that you have in your life will wreak havoc on your life because it'll impact every area of your life whether you like it or not it's not my words it's what the Lord tells us, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. Bad company corrupts good morals. What fellowship does light have with darkness? No, the world was not afraid of this man because he previously belonged to them. And Jesus had just allowed the demons to go into a herd of pigs and then destroy them in the lake. Perhaps the people were afraid that Jesus would do the same with the rest of their compromises, their sin. A man in compromise will never want Jesus to stick around because he knows that Jesus will expose and take away, clean house, because he desires to restore and reconcile. And too many people love their sin and don't want to do away with it. I speak, unfortunately, from experience. And I remember when I was in that place of having turned my back on the Lord, and I knew Oh, I knew. My wife can attest to this. I I knew what it was. If I were were to recommit my life to the Lord, I knew what that meant. 
I would have to do away with all that stupid sin that at the moment I loved. I know. It's not like I speak from a point of ignorance or just theory or something that perhaps will happen, although it's the certain word of God. I know why people say, go away from me, Lord. I want nothing to do with you. And what we're saying in that moment is, I love my sin. I love my compromise. I love my life. And I don't want you to touch it. What did Jesus do when he was asked to depart from them? He departed. He simply got into the boat and returned. When asked to leave, Jesus will leave. Although he wishes no one perish, that all reach repentance, he will not force himself on anyone. It has to be a willing invite, a willing surrender by a person. That's why when you're invited to surrender your life to Christ, that's what he does. He extends that gift to you. Like what Modesto was, was saying prior to us partaking of communion, this is a remembrance. This is a celebration, by the way, acknowledging his death until he returns for us. Why, why his death? Because there's power in the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness of sin. We're declaring victory in Christ. We're thanking him for his sacrifice. But we need to surrender to him. Willingly, with an understanding, I know forgiveness of my sins in Christ, and I give myself to you. But for those who say, go away, he will go away. Thirty-eight. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare now how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This man, now in his right mind, was begging Jesus to allow him to go with him. He wanted to keep doing what he had been doing up to that point. The, the very place that the people found him in when they came back from the herdsmen going and telling everyone is the very place he wanted to remain. He wanted to stay in that place of just, I just want to draw from you. I just want to listen to you. I want to go wherever you go. And he begged them. The question is, I see this picture of this man in his right mind this is what he desired to do, is this. Do you beg Jesus to allow you to sit in the same manner at his feet? Because that should be our heart. Psalm 63, one says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I am parched. Lord, I desire that you give me that living water. Oh, I desire nothing more than 
to hear from you. I want your presence. I want to be with you. The heart of a worshiper is one who is drawn to Jesus, desires to listen to him, and delights in his presence. A person who is dressed in the right mind. But Jesus said no. But he told him, go back and declare what God has done for you. Um, this word that is used in the original, I, I looked it up because I thought, you know what? He was told to declare, but he went and proclaimed. Two different words. In other words, when Jesus told him, go back to your home and recount what God has done for you. Just recount it. Like, kind of like you recounting a story, right? I just want to tell you what happened to me. But he did something different. The word that is used for what he did when he went back is published. I want to publish it. I want the whole world to know. He did as he was instructed, but he didn't do just that. He did much more because he, he was proclaiming. He was publishing this throughout everywhere to anyone and everyone that would listen to him. What Jesus had done for him. Now he said... It said that he did this. He proclaimed what Jesus had done for him. Jesus had told him, go and declare what God has done for you, which is one and the same. Jesus being the son of God, the demons have already declared the truth of his title. And so it was that he went and published. He proclaimed what Jesus had done for him. This man who was demon-possessed was now dressed in his right mind and was telling all about Jesus and what he had done for him. A light in a dark world, and that's what you are when you go and proclaim what God has done for you through Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. That is what Jesus calls us to do. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says, And in the same way, let your, your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's ultimately God who we're glorifying, who we desire to glorify. Your good works, uh, what are they? Well, they've been planned for you to walk in. I see that in Ephesians 2.10. Those are the ones that you're to walk in and glorify the Lord. My prayer is that you, like the man who came to his right mind as he was delivered by Jesus, would be drawn to Jesus, desire him, and delight in his presence. If you're here and you don't know that relationship, I, I tell you, I offer it to you once again. Don't let this moment pass you by. In this moment, God is inviting you to a, an eternal relationship with him through Jesus Christ, being forgiven of your sins. The word tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Believing salvifically, Lord, only you are able to save me. Only you are able to forgive me because you shed your blood for me and you paid in full for my sins. It is only in Christ that we know that salvation. It's an offer once again. If there's anyone here who has not received that offer, do not be like the others who told Jesus to depart. 
because we're doing one or the other. We either, we're either telling him to depart or saying, no, Jesus, I want to be in my right mind. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be yours eternally. I pray that that would be you. And if that is you, come forward and allow me or one of the other men who are up here with me, Stephen Modesto, just, just to pray with you because it's not anything that we can pray for you. It's not even what you pray yourself. It's simply a surrender of your heart. We'll pray for you and we'll encourage you in that. But if you are new in Christ, you are a new creature. He'll give you a new heart, new hope, new purpose, and you will know that you belong to him. No doubt about that. No doubt whatsoever. So we're going to have the the worship team come up, and as they do, we're not going to sing this song, at least I don't think so, but I, I want to share with you the lyrics to this song. It is better is one day. You know that song? How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty, for my soul longs and even faints for you. For here my heart is satisfied within your presence. I sing beneath the shadow of your wings. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. One thing I ask and I would seek to see your beauty, to find you in the place your glory dwells. My heart and flesh cry out for you, the living God. Your spirit is water to my soul. I've tasted and I've seen. Come once again to me. I will draw near to you. I will draw near to you. Father, that was the heart of this man who was made right. I ask, Lord, that you would give us this heart, the heart of a worshiper, Lord, one who desires to draw near to you, desire to hear from you and to love your presence, your delights to, to glorify you, to bless you, just to, just to be with you. Why? Because we have hearts that are grateful, that honor you, that desire to just walk with you. And then to see others come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, help us to be those people who find great delight in you. And for anyone who is here who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Father, I ask, Lord, that your kindness would draw them unto you, yourself, that you would do that very thing. And, and Lord, that they would completely surrender their lives to you, knowing that in Christ they will gain eternal life. And they will one day see you in all of your glory. Pray that today would be the day of salvation. And so I thank you, Lord, praise you, and ask these things in Jesus' name.